Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. I heard that it was like the unofficial start of summer. Well, I think we're there, don't you? I mean, whew. Well, John, thank you for being excited. John is excited about summer. I'm excited, too, to stay inside in the air conditioning. No. Uh, I appreciate being able to gather together with you today on this. We just had this amazing celebration of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God and his gift of abundant life, right? I mean, dedicating kids should be something that is beyond just the kind of the normal level of excitement. And, and so I appreciate your involvement and I appreciate uh, your excitement. And uh, I just now I've got a couple questions for you. What did you just commit yourselves to? Remember when you said we do, right? What are you going to do? Oh, it got really quiet, didn't it? Because the reality of it is that we make commitments all the time without really fully understanding what we just committed ourselves to. This happens all the time in churches, yes, but I was trying to think of, well, when has this happened for me? And I got to give you a little disclaimer up front. I am in no way at any moment in what I'm about to say trying to equate um, following Jesus with buying a timeshare, but (laughs) we own a timeshare. And when we just, after we were newly married, we were living out in Salt Lake City and, you know, we got one of those flyers and you've all got these flyers, people. So we got this flyer and it was like free something or other and whatever. And so we're well, and I've told you about my history of, of infomercials and how much I love infomercials. And so I'm like the guy they're looking for when they're talking about timeshares. So we went there and Tammy and I, again, having newly been married, we watched the videos and, you know, Tammy's like, and I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And so, you know, right away we get done, you know, because they have a whole system and they get you in the thing and then they want you to, to, to talk about it. And then, you know, the price keeps going down and down and down. And it's almost, they're almost ready to give it to you. Right. And so I'm, I don't see how we could say no to this. And so we talked about it in the office for eight hours. <laughs> Even the sales guy was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I mean, But finally, she just, she couldn't keep up any more resistance. So we own the timeshare, okay? But what we didn't really understand at the time of making this commitment to own this wonderful thing uh, is that, well, they just keep sending you a bill every month. Every month they send you a bill, maintenance, maintenance fees, and uh, they can just set those fees to be whatever they want. And so it, it, it just happens every year. Which way do they go? Not down. And then you're, you're in it for so much that it's like, well, gosh, I really didn't count the cost in this. This, this goes on forever. And so the, the, the initial blast of, of acquiring the timeshare, well, okay, that was part of it, but we didn't understand what the cost was. Well, when we think about what does it mean to dedicate children? What does it mean when we say we do? We are going to come alongside you. We are going to help you as parents and as children. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to teach you to know who Jesus is and to trust him and to believe in him. And then a lot of times after saying we do, well, we didn't really understand the cost. We didn't really understand it it was going to be hard work. 
but we made this commitment. And so now my encouragement to us as a church is let's keep that commitment. Because if you look at what is happening in, in our lifetime right now, and the numbers of especially younger people who maybe have grown up in church that are then turning away and walking away from Jesus, walking away from faith, it's happening in record numbers. And so what would it be like if we took this idea of what it means to truly come alongside parents and kids and to help grow them up knowing and trusting who Jesus is? What would it be like if we truly took that commitment and counted the cost and said, you know what? It's more than worth it. It's worth it. This next generation, the future generations, are the most important outcome of our collective life together. As a church, to spread the good news and to encourage people into a relationship with Jesus that we know they can't want on their own. The Spirit of God draws them into relationship with Jesus as a result of us coming alongside them and preaching the good news to them, supporting them, praying for them, and helping carry burdens with them. And so I, I hope that's what we're committing ourselves to because I, this is a real big myth buster moment. Uh, Faith, truly living a life of faith, is difficult. Following Jesus is hard. Now, a lot of times we don't talk about that in church because we've sort of almost turned it into, uh, well, if we can just get you to make a commitment to following Jesus, then that's good enough. That's good enough. But that's not good enough for Jesus. That's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want some of you. He doesn't want you to, to give him your two thumbs up. He wants all of you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so a lot of times we get kind of close, and then we start to say, well, if I get any closer, then I'm really going to start to be offended. Because I like a lot of things about Jesus, but there are some things I'm I'm really not a fan of. And so we kind of keep him at an arm's length distance and that will never work for Jesus. That's not, that's not, matter of fact, you know, I used to work, I owned this company, we did energy efficiency ratings and one of the guys that worked for me, his name's Brandon, love this guy, but he was doing a, I would say a less than good job on a lot of the stuff he was doing. He would process these files and then there would be this accuracy check at the end of it to see, well, how did you do? And, and his accuracy rate was somewhere in the 50% range, okay? That's not good. So I say to Brandon, you know, we gotta do something about this accuracy. This accuracy is definitely not where it needs to be. Uh, we, we've gotta improve this. And you know what he said to me? He was like, well, I mean, I don't, nothing can be done perfectly. So quit trying to hold me to this standard. And I said, Brandon, pop quiz. Have you ever, just to test your theory, have you ever left your house and were on your way to work and you look down and realize you forgot to put your pants on? <laughs> Has that ever happened? Well, no. Okay, well, there's something you can do with 100% accuracy. Now do your job. <laughs> 
so a lot of times when we're thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, we're trying to negotiate the terms. We're trying to say, well, I'll give you this. I'll let you have control over this, but I'm not willing to go any further than that. And so we come to Jesus for a whole wide variety of reasons and circumstances and all these kinds of things. And the good news is that even though what I'm about to say is very hard, very difficult, offensive, alarming, all these words that you want to use, even though that's true, it's because Jesus loves us enough to not leave us in this circumstance where we think we're following him, we think we're believing in him, we think we're trusting him, but we're really just trusting and believing in our imagination of who we think Jesus is instead of recognizing and receiving him for who he truly is. And so John chapter six, we've been in this for several weeks now, and, and we're, this is a long chapter, this chapter, it's the longest chapter in the New Testament, and so we've kind of been all over the board here. But the consistent theme has been this idea of Jesus as the bread of life. He, he told us last week, I am the bread of life. And remember, John 6 started with this bread again, miraculous feeding. Jesus was making food where there was no food. He was making it and he was feeding people and the people were amazed and the, and the crowds were growing and, and his popularity was at an all time high. And then the next week after that, even all with all of the miracles and all the signs and all the wonders that they had been seeing and participating in and eating the bread that he had given them, that was miraculous bread. Even with all that, the disciples, his, those who were closest to him, well, they still didn't understand who he was. And so he sent them out in a boat in the dark to the Sea of Galilee, large body of water, not necessarily crazy about going out there. He sent them out there into a storm knowing that they would struggle, knowing that they would, they would come to the end of themselves. And at that moment where they were being blown further and further to the middle of the sea, he comes walking on the water and they receive him into the boat. And immediately, it says, the boat got to where it was going. And so we talked about how the message is that when we have Jesus in our boat, then in the middle of the storms in life that we face, we don't give up. We trust more maybe than ever before in who Jesus is. But that is a test of our faith. Jesus is putting us to the test, not because he's mean, but because he wants what's best for us. And oftentimes we do not know what is best for us. The world continues to try to tell us what's best for us. And of course the message is, well, it's all about you. It's all about you, what you want, when you want it, how you want it, do whatever feels good, have your own version of truth. It's all relative anyway, who cares? And Jesus is saying no to all of that. Now he says that in a way to these people that are with him in what we're going to read today in a very offensive way. They're very offended by this. And so when we kind of think about what does it mean for us today to consider these same things, we're going to try to also see, well, how does it relate to what we face today? How does it relate? Because especially if you're a younger person, you already know this to be true. You've known it for your whole life. Your faith will be tested. 
It will be tested. You will be, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus, you will be mocked, you will be ridiculed, you will be told, stop believing in fairy tales. You will be scoffed at, you will look down upon, you will be considered unintelligent, you will be considered an enemy of science. And yet, if we put our hope and our identity and our value into trying to live to those standards that the world is setting for us, we have completely missed it. We've completely missed it. Jesus is not satisfied with that. He's not satisfied in letting us go. Instead, remember, he has come and claimed us as his own. He has called out to us through the promises that he's made, and he invites us into relationship with him. But following him, truly following him, truly surrendering to him, it's hard. It's hard. And that, that difficulty gets exponentially worse in our difficult times. Like I grew up in church, maybe some of you did too, but I grew up in church, uh, went every week. Uh, I, I would tell, you know, while I would consider myself to be a Christian, if, if people would ask me, I, I would identify myself as a follower of Jesus. Of course, I would do that in a really quiet voice and only if I was asked. But the reality is I thought I knew what I believed, but it wasn't until my faith was tested that I came face to face with, do I really believe what I claim to believe? That's where this is going today. And so you might be thinking like, well, what, after we read this text, you're gonna say, what in the world are we doing with this text on a day where we're dedicating children? Well, this fits together absolutely perfectly, not by my design. The, the Lord had this in mind when we planned this schedule well before we even knew what was coming. But I want you to think about this in the context of what does it mean for future generations? What does it mean for the generations that we just talked about, that we just celebrated, both in the, in the first service and in this service? We have these kids that we've made these commitments to now. How are we going to live out those commitments centered and rooted in the truth of who Jesus is. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll read this scripture together and we'll, we'll finish off uh, John chapter six. Heavenly Father, we can't do this without you. We know that. We've come to the end of ourselves. We're out of ideas. And Lord, you have been so ever faithful and you continue to call us home. And Lord, we thank you that it's not us coming to you, but you coming to us and inviting us into deeper and deeper relationship with you. Lord, we don't understand your grace and your mercy and why you would do such amazing things for us and through us. But Lord, we thank you. We ask now in this time that we have together that it not be my words, but it be your word, your transforming word that does what it says. Your word that doesn't return to you empty. Lord, create us anew in this place by the power of your word of truth, the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So now here we go. It's verses 60 to 71, 60 to 71. Now keep in mind, this is coming right on the heels of Jesus. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how Jesus was becoming more and more offensive. 
who's becoming more and more offensive. And uh, so, so we're going to now pick that up. And he's just said a bunch of stuff, and we'll, we'll cover that. We'll have a little review here in just a minute. But, but we're going to pick up now kind of the response to the things that he's been saying. So start in uh, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. I want you to notice this. All throughout this chapter, this chapter, we, we've had this, this, this swell of popularity, these crowds that are coming. And remember, the primary motivator for that is the things that Jesus is doing. He's turning water into wine. He's healing people. He's feeding people. Well, of course, this gets people's attention, as, as it should. And so they're curious. They're, they're, they're following him. They don't have a problem with what he's doing. They actually quite like what he's doing. I mean, the religious leaders, they have some problems with how he's doing it and when he's doing it. And, and that's, you know, an ongoing conflict. But even when it comes to just your ordinary average person, they don't have a problem with what Jesus is doing. They quite like that. Matter of fact, when, when we think we can get Jesus to do what we want Jesus to do, we quite like him too. That's the kind of Jesus we find easy to follow. Well, of course. Uh, but the problem that these folks are having is not with what he's doing. It's what he is saying. It's the things that he is saying. Uh, and, and they don't like what he's saying at all. Not the big crowd in general alone. They don't like what he's saying. But the circle continues to get smaller and smaller and closer and closer to Jesus until we're now talking about disciples. We're talking about the disciples. And, and the, the text uses this word to identify all the people that Jesus is talking to, which means that if he's saying Jesus already knew who would believe and who wouldn't believe, that means, well, it's possible to be a true disciple, but it's also possible to be a false disciple. But again, Jesus cares and loves us enough that he doesn't want us to stick in that unknown, that, that feeling that, well, well, I think I'm a follower, I think I believe, I think I trust, I think I've surrendered, but then not quite get it done. Like good old Brandon, how close is close enough? How, how good of a job do I have to do in order to have it count? Well, Jesus wants it all. He wants all of our lives, every aspect of our lives. But how well do we do in terms of surrendering and giving that over to him and trusting that he knows better than we do. 
Well, that's really hard. It's really hard. And it's really hard in a world that continues to tell you the exact opposite of that. And so no wonder, no wonder people get offended. We're offended. But again, we're not offended by what Jesus is doing, especially when he's doing what we want. We're offended by what he's saying. Look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now this phrase, hard teaching, well, it's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? Because we might think it means well, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. No, that's not what the word intends to mean here. It doesn't mean hard to understand. They understood what he was saying just fine. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't want what he was saying to be true. They were offended by what he was saying. And, and what happens? What happens when you say something that is offensive? Canceled. Canceled. He starts speaking these words, and they want to cancel. They want to cancel Jesus because they're like, wait a minute. We loved it when you were doing all this amazing stuff. So could you maybe just get back to doing that and maybe just don't say anything else. Don't, don't, don't talk about it. We don't like this. Don't say those things. And so this idea of the hard teaching is, is not that they don't understand it. It's that they don't want to accept it. They don't want to accept it. It's hard to accept. Matter of fact, the word that's, that's translated as teaching here in the version we're using, that word is actually logos in Greek, which means word. So if you want to know what it really says, it really says, this is a hard word. This is a hard word. In other words, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow this. It's hard to accept this. It's hard to trust and believe and follow this. It doesn't make us feel good. And so Jesus has had quite a ramp up, by the way, to getting to this point, to getting to the point where they are as offended as they are. And he keeps, he keeps going further and further and offending them more and more. Again, not because he's mean, but because he's trying to call them out. He's trying to draw out of them so that they see for themselves, are you really willing to follow me or not? At, at, uh, in the Gospel of, of Luke, I can't remember where, but there, there's a guy that comes up. He's all in for following Jesus. Hey, I'm, I'm, I, count me in. I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what does that mean? If you want to follow me, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. The Son of Man was rejected by the world. And if you're associated with him, well, you will be rejected as well. But that doesn't mean for a moment that it isn't worth it. It just means that we should expect to have our faith tested. We should expect confrontation with people that don't understand why we would believe and trust in something that to them seems like nothing more than a fairy tale. And so these kinds of offensive things that, that lead to this point to calling out whether or not they are going to continue following him. We talked about them last week. There are more than four, but I want to I talk about four of these things. Remember, all the way back in verse 15, after Jesus had been doing all these amazing things, they had concluded, the crowds, they were like, okay, this is the guy. 
this is the guy we want. I mean, we want him on our side because if, if he can heal people and he can feed people and he can do it with nothing more than speaking his word to do it, well, then this is a guy we want on our team. So they, they came after him and they were going to make him king by force. Verse 15, it says, they, Jesus knew this. So he retreated to the hillside by himself to get away from them because he knew what they were doing because they were looking for a political king. That's what they wanted. They wanted to dominate the political system of the, of the time that they were in, especially to kick the Romans out of their territory. The Romans were there. They didn't want the Romans there. They think Jesus is the guy to actually get it done. The problem with that, of course, is that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from out of this world, so I don't fit in to your plans for me. So he retreats and he says, no, you will not make me that kind of king. Now that might seem far-fetched, but I ask you, when it comes to our political discourse, especially in this country, Jesus is on the ticket every time, especially for both political parties, isn't he? We've got signs, we've got slogans, we've got bumper stickers, we've got everything. And conveniently, we've chopped out some of Jesus' words and then used those as an endorsement. We've asked Jesus to come along with what we want to be accomplished. So this might at first sound like, oh, that's, that's them, that's then. No, that's us, that's now. We do exactly the same thing. It, it, just look for it. How convenient is it that this particular party grabs a hold of these particular words? This political party grabs a hold of these particular words. It's the words that offend everybody. It's the words that Jesus is speaking. Well, what if as a church we did what we're called to do, which is take all of the words of Jesus, take all of the word of God. And even though that might make us uncomfortable, and even though sometimes it might offend us, what if we actually consumed and feasted on those words? What if we digested those words and let the word work through us to transform the things around us, just like he's transforming each one of us? So that's the first way that we are offended. We try to make Jesus a political king, and he isn't. All right? Second way is that the people were following after him because they wanted the goodies. He, remember, he tells them in uh, verse 26, he says, well, you didn't come after me because you want to know me or you want to be with me or you want to be in a relationship with me. You're following me because you had your fill of the loaves, the miraculous bread that he knows they're coming after him for, for the goodies. They're more interested in the goodies than they are in the giver of those goodies. Now, this we can definitely relate to, right? Because a lot of times we think what it means to have a relationship with Jesus is that Jesus somehow cosmically becomes my vending machine. Where if I just have the right inputs and I push the right buttons, then I can get Jesus to do what I want him to do for my benefit. I can get him to give me the goodies. And so when it turns out Jesus is not interested in that, which he isn't, well, that's offensive. And so people are like, well, I really liked it better when Jesus, you weren't saying anything and you were just actually doing the things that I want done. That 
that was more of the Jesus I was interested in following. That's not who Jesus is. So they're offended about this. And the third thing, well, then he goes after their hero, Moses. Okay, Moses was their hero. And, you know, Moses had done some great things. But what Jesus helps them understand is, well, it wasn't actually Moses who was doing any of this anyway. It was actually God doing it through Moses. And, and when it, we talked about the, the bread that came down from heaven when the Israelites were wandering for 40 plus years in the wilderness, that God fed them with this miraculous flaky bread from heaven. And, and Jesus is saying, oh, that was not Moses that brought that down. That was God who brought it down. And by the way, the true bread from heaven the actual true bread from heaven is me. I am the bread of life. Not Moses, Jesus. Well, that's offensive too. And so we think, well, what, what, what do we have in today's culture that kind of reminds us of that? Well, I would say it's this whole phenomenon of celebrity pastors, right? Because, cele I mean, they're all over the place, but... The reality of it is once you start to say, well, I can only hear the words of Jesus given to me by this particular personality or given to me by this particular celebrity pastor because he's cool, uh, then we've missed the point entirely. And Jesus comes to us and says, you have the wrong hero. Don't worship the mouthpiece. Worship the word. The word who is Jesus, the light of the world. So he's offended them because he's, he's basically told them, take the posters down of Moses. It ain't about Moses. <laughs> and then the fourth thing is that he demands dependence. He, he demands dependence and surrender in a way that they're not prepared to handle. And most of the time, neither are we. Right? Uh, because this, this requirement for total surrender, total handover, total, you know, it's not like Brandon, 50% is not going to work. Got to go all the way. Got to give him everything. And we don't want that because we're pretty sure, even with evidence all over the place to the contrary, we're pretty sure that we can do it better. We're pretty sure that if we can just sort of keep Jesus on our schedule and, and if we can just sort of maybe treat him like uh, almost like a vitamin, we could just call him vitamin JC. OK, <laughs> I really think I'm doing a great job, but I just need something to kind of send me over the edge so I can really do great stuff. Pop a couple of vitamin JCs. On we go. Jesus, that's not the way that Jesus works here. That's not who Jesus is. But that's oftentimes the way that we live our lives as if that were true. And he's saying, no, no to that too. And so no wonder these people are offended. No wonder they're offended. We're offended too. There's no shortage of people being offended by the things that Jesus is saying. And so a lot of times we listen to Jesus' words. We hear what he's saying. We understand them. And then we get stuck. We get stuck chewing. We're chewing on the words. We're chewing on the words and we don't want to swallow them because we don't want to accept them. But the reality is that Chewing on Jesus' words is easy. It's swallowing his words that are, that's hard. Swallowing his words are hard. Accepting that he knows better. Accepting that he will do a better job running our lives than we will do for ourselves. Well, that's, 
That's tough. But in order to be his true disciple, in order to be his true follower, that is what it takes. We've got to swallow the words of Jesus. Otherwise, we are left all on our own to try to figure it out all by ourselves. And this is what Jesus is trying to prevent. But are we willing to accept it? Are we willing to accept even the hard words, even the ones that offend us, even the ones that confront a culture that is trying to tell us absolutely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to tell us? You know, Jesus says, you've got to accept and believe and trust. But, but what is our interpretation or what is our belief about? A lot of times, we end up thinking faith is my ability to believe in my ability to believe, right? We think it's like, well, can I convince myself? Can I convince? That's not what's happening here. That Jesus is saying, give it all to me. Give it all to me and trust me with all of it, all of your life, all of who you are. I will give you your identity. I will establish your value. Are we willing to do it? Well, uh, when it comes to these words of Jesus and, 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 and what does it mean to have the, the word of God spoken to us that comes to us in the way that is the bread of life, that does give life. Remember, Jesus was offensive in saying, hey, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. Okay, well, he, he's talking about feasting on his promises, feasting on his words, letting them in our ears, yes, chewing on them, fine, but ultimately swallowing them, knowing that it's hard for us to do, knowing that it will cost us everything to fully surrender our lives to Jesus. But that doesn't mean it isn't worth it. Listen to how Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah the prophet who was hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Even he could see the importance and the value of, of God's words. Look at uh, Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says this, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. That's true for us as followers of Jesus. We bear his name. It's no longer just our name, but we have the name of Jesus, the most powerful name, the name above all names. Jesus gives us our value and our identity. And nothing pleases the devil more than trying to steal that back away from us, to try to reroute and refocus, to, to, to convince us that each of us is the enemy instead of the real enemy, to, to, to divide and separate and, and to make things even messier and to confuse us and, and, and to get people to think, well, your identity is, is all in whatever you say it is, rather than who Jesus says you are and how he has proven to you your value by coming to you and rescuing you. But will we actually swallow that? Will we just keep chewing or will we actually accept it? And I, I mentioned a moment ago about um, we oftentimes think of Jesus as, a, as some kind of cosmic vending machine. Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm happy that we're, we're together now. Now I've got a list. I'd like you to get these things done. Uh, and and that's, that's not it. Jesus is not a cosmic vending machine. And I, I heard Tim Keller, who's a famous preacher, pastor, he used this analogy of the vending machine too in this particular case when it comes to understanding what does it mean to really accept the words of Jesus. 
Now, for you younger folks, I'm going to say something that you may not be familiar with because you may have never experienced this, but we used to have these things called vending machines that you had to put coins in. Okay, now you just swipe or whatever. Maybe you got your wallet. I don't know how it works, but it used to be that you had to put coins in these machines, right? So you put the coin in. Now, for those of you that have done this, when you drop the coin in a machine, you put it in there, you know when the coin has actually dropped into the machine and when it hasn't, right? That is the most infuriating thing. You put it in there, you're waiting for that sound. You're waiting to hear the sound of the coin dropping in and it won't drop in. So what do you do? Well, you eject it and you try again, you just keep doing it and you just figure how long it's gonna take. Or sometimes, now ready for this? You put the coin in and you can tell it's stuck, you can tell it hasn't dropped in, then what do you do? You bang the machine, you shake the machine, and you try to get the coin to drop in. Because you know, unless the coin drops in, there will be no goodies. Okay? Well, what about when it comes to the words of Jesus? In your life, are they stuck? Or have they dropped in? Has the coin dropped in? Because if it hasn't dropped in, then these words are of no use to you. But when that coin drops in, your life will transform. Your life will change. What you desire and what you put your faith in, what you put your uh, hope in, will change because the word does the work. Digesting the word of Jesus changes and transforms us into who he's calling us to be. But keep in mind, he, he does it his way. He doesn't do it our way. He doesn't wait for us to approve the plan. And sometimes in our lives, we need to be shaken up. We need to be shaken up because we won't learn any other way. And so Jesus shakes us up, not because he's mean, but because he loves us. And so if you have somebody in your life that has walked away from faith, Prayer really is that even though it's hard, God, will you shake this person up to the point where the coin drops in so that they come to know you and trust you and believe in you. But until that happens, the words can't do the work because we're too busy either plugging our ears or saying, you know what? I really don't like this. I'm too offended. I don't want to hear anymore. I want to walk away. And so look at what happens in verses 61 to 65. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, well, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father or no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Okay, so he basically is saying, look, you think you're offended now. He doesn't coddle them. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry you were offended. He doubles down. I love Jesus. He just keeps going. And he says, oh, you think that was offensive? What are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, to you and I, we might not know, like, right away what that means. These folks 
especially having heard all the things that he said, they know what he's talking about. He's not just talking about ascending back to heaven where he was before, where he came from. That's offensive in and of itself. But he's also, all throughout the gospel of John, John writes it in this way so that we never mistake that Jesus' path to his ascension to heaven goes through the cross. It always goes through the cross. You cannot have a resurrection without first the death of Jesus. And so John wants to make sure that we see this. So this ascension to heaven goes through the cross. And now I ask you, you know, when it comes time to thinking about, well, whose team do you really want to be on? Do you say, well, put me on the one that surrenders. Put me on the one that is going to lose the game. Because that's what the world interprets Jesus' self-sacrifice to be, is utter, total, and complete defeat. And yet, in the midst of that defeat, is where the power, the true power of God is shown. Where there is no hope, where even the disciples themselves think, this is over. That's when the power of God does the most impossible surprising thing. Now we have the benefit of already knowing that. But think about these disciples. He's saying this stuff and they don't know how this is going to turn out. We know the end of the story. What a gift that is. What, what, what a benefit to us that is. But are we willing to feast on the words, the good news of who Jesus is? Are we willing to let the coin drop in? Or are we constantly going to run to other things? Think about it in your life right now. What, what do you run to when you are tested? What do you run to when your faith is challenged? What do you run to when circumstances go wrong? Is it Jesus? Or is it something or someone else? Is it money? Are you finding your value? Are you finding your identity in your job? Are, are you... Are you finding a way that you think will sustain you through these problems by turning to substances? Are, are, are you turning to alcohol? Are you turning to drugs? Are you, are you obsessed with sports? Are you looking at entertainment? What is going on in your life? What is competing for the space that only Jesus belongs? When, until that coin drops in, then we are destined to remain unfulfilled. And Jesus is saying no to all of that. Which, honestly, when we really come to terms with that, it does make us feel helpless. It does make us feel helpless. But here's the truth. What we ultimately trust is our true God. And that's big G or little g. And so ask the Lord to search your heart. He has the words of life, not our words, he has his words that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then convicts us, helps us identify the things that are keeping us from following Jesus more closely and more fully. And he redirects us and he leads us and guides us into deeper relationship with him. But sometimes we're just too offended. Look at uh, verse 66. These are his disciples now. Okay? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, this is also the first time in this text in, in the Gospel of John where, where uh, 
he identifies the disciples as the 12, like the core group, the 12. Again, the circle goes from the people who are following out here to the people that are closer that are following Jesus to now his inner circle of people. And so it's getting, it's getting pretty bad. People are leaving. They're saying, this is too much. I don't want it. And the language here is not like, well, they, they, they went away to think about it. They had a retreat and they considered their options. No, this is like final language. This is, they gave up, they said no, and they walked away. But not everybody walked away. Look at verse 67. He turns to the 12 and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Now, Jesus doesn't ask this because he doesn't know the answer. Remember, we've already seen several times, he already knows who will believe and who won't believe. He asks this question because he wants to give these people an opportunity to produce a confession of faith, to actually recognize and say out loud, we don't have any hope in ourselves. There is no hope in us. We can't figure it out. Lord, we have got to turn to you. You're all we have. And so on the one hand, we might feel helpless when we're confronted with that reality, but here's the truth. It's in our helplessness, we find our hope in Jesus. It's in our helplessness where we find our hope in Jesus. And that's what's happening here. This amazing thing that Peter says. Listen to this, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What if, what if we made that our life verse in terms of how we think of our relationships, not only with God, but with one another? What would it be like to come alongside these kids and these, these parents and to help raise them up in this life of faith so that so that when they go out into the world and they face the challenges and the struggles and the harshness of the world that tells them, oh, forget about all this Jesus stuff. That doesn't make any sense. What would it be like for them to say the same thing? Lord, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so whether that's you today right now that need to hear those words of eternal life and ask Jesus to really come into your life and surrender all of the things you've been holding back for him, or maybe, maybe it's the first time you've ever been considering that. Maybe it's just the first time today because this is an ongoing relationship we have with Jesus. Whatever your case, whatever your circumstances, whatever your struggles, turn to Jesus and, and listen to his life-giving, soul-saving, sin-shattering words that bring new life and will transform you into who he's created you to be. Lord, to, to whom shall we go? There is no other hope. Our hope is in Christ alone. I pray that's true for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you do not leave us to figure things out on our own, but instead that you come to us with your words. You tell us exactly what you think of us. 
You are my beloved. I favor you. I choose you. Lord, we can't ever even understand that kind of grace, that kind of mercy. We give our lives to you. We surrender it all. We ask that, that you work by the power and the person of your Holy Spirit in and through us to express that good news, that truth about who you are in whatever way you call us to. Lord, no more hiding. No more thinking someone else will take care of it. Send us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.